This recording has been produced by Christchurch, Jerusalem. For more information, visit us at cmj-israel.org. Okay, brothers and sisters, ready to begin? Okay, we are great. We are gathered uh, around our little tables to study the, the book of Acts. The book of Acts, uh, in brief, is sacred history. What is sacred history, I hear you ask? As a genre, you read sacred history different than you read a gospel or an epistle or eschatological literature like Revelation. What do I mean by that? Um, uh, in Acts chapter 1, when they wanted to pick a new, new leader, how did they do it? To replace Judas? Cast lots. That's in the Bible. Do we choose new leadership for our churches by casting lots? No, we do not. Okay, we actually put out CVs and we want people to have been through Bible colleges and, you know, we look to we do interviews and things like that. So even though it's in the Bible, it's in a particular genre. And the genre is the sacred history of how the gospel, the good news of Jesus as the Messiah, goes west. The book of Acts is not concerned about how the gospel goes north or south or east. We all know that it does, but it is not in our Bibles. Which means the book of Acts is, is telling us a limited story. It is also a book that contains the most references to the Holy Spirit. 40 times. So the book of Matthew only does it mentions him five times. Book of Mark four times. John only three times. Hebrews zero. Okay. Um, Revelation zero. Okay. So you end up with... Uh, but, and all of Paul's only, only 13. Yet it's 40 times in the, in the book of Acts. So what we're really getting is a, a, an overview of how the Holy Spirit acts. And as we've been going through the book of Acts, we've kind of noticed that he doesn't do the things we think that he does. And so that's, which is great. So we can never put the Holy Spirit in a box. For example, it, in, on, on, uh, on uh, Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit falls down onto the community tongues of fire and Peter stands up and he says repent be baptized for the forgiveness of sins and you'll get the gift of the Holy Spirit they go awesome formula thank you Jesus okay repent get baptized have forgiveness get spirit got a formula but then he'll also turn stand in the temple and he'll say you'll get the Holy Spirit if you obey Acts chapter 4 I didn't know I had to obey anything to get a gift. But accordingly, you do. Acts chapter 10. The Gentiles receive the Holy Spirit. And the disciples are looking at each other saying, can we forbid, forbid these guys for getting baptized? So obviously, you can get the Holy Spirit before baptism. Uh, and so just when you think you put the Holy Spirit in a box, he'll turn around and do something else. Which has been a very good learning curve, I think, for all of us. And uh, so we're in Acts chapter 13. And before we begin, we will do a time-honored Christian tradition. When we, when we gather and meet in the name of the Lord, what do we do? We pray. Okay, so can I have a volunteer who would like to pray for our meeting tonight? Father, we thank you for this opportunity to gather together friends from all over the world to come to hear your word. 
Father, we lift up Aaron and pray that you would use him tonight to speak clearly and concisely. Pray that our ears are open to hear and our hearts are receptive. Holy Spirit, we yield ourselves to you and invite your presence and your guidance. We ask it in the name of Jesus. Amen. Okay, so we've been studying um, uh, uh, through Acts 13. We're not quite finished. We're actually at verse 42. The scenario is um, the Peter has essentially disappeared from the pages of Scripture. Once you have Acts chapter 12 and he gets um, rescued from prison and he goes to, to Mary's house, um, he says it, the text says in Acts he goes to another place. doesn't tell you where and he just never reappears again. And then the scene switches to Saul, Barnabas and Saul, who are then called by the Holy Spirit. Right? The Holy Spirit speaks to people and says, prepare these people for me, right? and I'm going to send them out. You go, oh, sounds wonderful. Uh, and then when they go and they go to Cyprus, which is where Barnabas is from, so you know, probably that's the reason why he started there, um, they encounter the wizard and sorcerer on 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 uh, the island, defeat him, and the proconsul, command of the whole island, becomes a believer. But Saul changes his name to Paul at this time, and suddenly he takes over. So from now on, it will be Paul and his companions, and Barnabas drops off. He's there, but he doesn't take any active role somehow, or the way sacred history is being recorded, he's not as uh, vocal as, um, as we might have expected before. Why is uh, Saul's name changed to Paul? We don't know, but it could be that the, pro, be the proconsul's name that he was engaged with and became a believer, what was his name? Paul. <laughs> and so it could be that uh, people went, that's a really cool name, mate, you really should change, <laughs> or something. And anyway, that's how, how uh, we, get, we, get, we get this change. So we will read last week's uh, notes just to refresh ourselves because many of us weren't uh, out there. So following the success on Cyprus, and it was real success, with no real time frame involved, many times in the book of Acts, it just says after some time. At, like once upon a time. There's, sometimes the book of Acts gives you a, a time period. Saul and Barnabas were, were pastoring the church in Antioch for one year. Right? We get that. And there'll be other times in the book of Acts where we actually tell you, you'll spend 18 months here and six months there and three weeks there and all those kinds of things. But for some reason, it just every now and again, the book of Acts or part of our sacred history decides to not explain the time frame. And so we don't know how much time takes past. So no real time frame involved. Paul and his companions. Note Paul is now always addressed as Paul and he takes preeminence in word order from this moment forward. They go from Cyprus to Turkey. John Mark departs for Jerusalem with no reason given. Okay. Later, we will discover it's a result of some argument with Paul. But again, not totally clarified. But here, at this point of sacred history, it just says John Mark departs. And that gives no, no real reason. Arriving in Pisidian Antioch. Okay, there's lots of different Antiochs running around, all named after a guy called Antiochus. Just like Alexander made lots of cities named after himself, Alexandria's. Then uh, we end up with Antiochs everywhere. On the Sabbath, they enter the local synagogue. The local community, as we find, is a mix of Jews and Gentile God-fearers, which is the way the world was working in the Second Temple period. When you ever went to a synagogue, half the people in your synagogue were Gentiles. Right? There was already a movement towards monotheism 
100 or 200 years prior to Yeshua. The development of the synagogue was accompanied by development in liturgy. Early synagogue liturgies included an opening prayers, psalms, a Torah reading, prophets reading, and then an educated man is then invited to speak. Note the absence of a rabbi figure. One of the people we will not encounter in the book of Acts is a rabbi. They don't exist in diaspora. Where do they exist? Here in Israel. Okay? And, and in Babylon. But when you're in diaspora, you don't have rabbis. Not yet. You'll get them. But the, that development will come at the collapse of the temple. You had elders. Somebody ruled or was in control of the synagogue. And it doesn't even say that he was the actual preacher. So what tended to happen is when you got on a synagogue on, on Shabbat, you basically looked around the community and says, anyone here smart? Anyone here know actually how to read this stuff? And they would actually get them. So when a couple of smart people arrived from Jerusalem, the first thing they said is, brother, can you please enlighten us with the word? So it was a really good platform for Paul and Barnabas. Okay? They were guaranteed a, a speaking spot. Okay? Some traditions in, in Christianity still do that, like the Brethren movement. Okay? They, you know, they don't have pastors, and if you show up in a Brethren church, better be ready to say something. Okay? All right. So Paul speaks, not Barnabas. Isn't that interesting? And his sermon address discusses God's redemptive plan through God's redemptive history. Right? He starts off by talking about Abraham and then Joseph and then various prophets and coming up to David and Saul and, and then to John the Baptist. And that is the same style as Stephen's address to Sanhedrin in Acts 6, is to go through sacred history. The way you share the gospel is you talk about the history of God's redemption and how he deals with humans. Paul culminates his address with the appeal to witnesses. People actually saw the resurrected Messiah. And if Luke is present, which according to the early church, he's actually there since Luke 11, in which case uh, Luke's actually a witness to the resurrection, okay. uh, then Paul can say, and we have witnesses, and he can even point to the people who actually saw it. Paul does not quote Isaiah 53. Notice that? Okay, if you got it yourselves in a group, let's, let's talk about a couple of prophecies that talk about the Messiah. No, we don't talk about that. Stephen doesn't do it, Paul doesn't do it, and he will not do it. And he will not quote the book of Daniel. Do you understand who the Son of Man is? And, uh, and where we are in the, in the plan of redemption history? No, rather he quotes a psalm. Psalm 2, describing the sonship of Jesus. And another psalm, Psalm 16, noting that the Holy One will not see decay, implying a resurrection. Paul challenges the community with the prophet Isaiah in chapter 49 in regards to the house of Israel scoffing at the message of resurrection. So that's his sermon. Probably not what we would expect. Most definitely not one of the ways we engage in trying to share the Messiah today. Right? Usually, when you get a group of people together and you want to talk about Messiah, we all leap to Isaiah 53. Early church did not do that. Uh, Paul's message of the good news culminates in the resurrection. The good news does not yet consist of the phrase, the blood of Jesus, nor the declaration of Jesus as a sacrifice for the sins of the world. It will later, 
Just not yet. Why not? Most probably, we had a little discussion of this. There's no, no clear answer because, of course, sacred history doesn't tell you. It doesn't say why they decided to say what they said or why they admitted certain words. But you do not find the word of the blood of Jesus in any of the early speeches of the church. Most probably, as Jewish diaspora had already begun to downplay the role of sacrifices in the community and focused attention on personal repentance. Sacrifices were conducted in pagan temples to pagan gods. Sacrifices for the God of Israel could only be conducted in Jerusalem. The majority of Jewish people actually resided outside the land of Israel and no access to the temple worship or the sacrificial system. So far, the message in Acts has been the same. Repent for the forgiveness of sins in the name of Jesus. Believe in the Messiah. So that begs the question, what does it mean to believe in a Messiah? Belief is not knowing something exists or having special wisdom about a subject. Even demons believe. Faith in Hebrew, emunah, is a verb. It's an action word. Believe in, a, in Messiah implies loyalty to, observing and following the teachings of the Messiah, acting like the Messiah in obedience. Right? As we will be later be called in the epistles, we are Christ's ambassadors. We are representatives of the Messiah. So far, the Holy Spirit has not been mentioned in the sacred history of God's redemption, in the, in the history of God's redemption during Paul's sermon. Actually, neither did Stephen, by the way. There is no mention of the need for baptism, speaking in tongues, gifts of the Spirit, etc. Okay? Instead, Paul concludes that forgiveness of sins has been declared to them through Jesus. Justification before a holy God comes through the Messiah and not through Moses. Right? That was one of his big statements at the end. Justification cannot occur through Moses as all the sacrifices listed in the Torah were for unintentional sins. Okay, that might be a surprise for just about everybody. But when you actually read all the sacrifices in Leviticus, they are all for unintentional sins. Hebrews 9, 7. Anyone got that one? We read about the high priest. But only the high priest entered the inner room. That's the Holy of Holies. And only once a year, and never without blood, which he offered for himself and for the sins of the people that they had committed in ignorance. Right? So when you get uh, through to um, the, the, the Levitical sacrifices, you understand that they're just for unintentional sins. So what's the obvious question? What's the... Bidiyuk. How do I get rid of my sin? Right? And the text doesn't tell you. So what do you have to do? You have to focus on your oral traditions. What does God require of us, O man? Right? To do justly, to love mercy, to walk humbly with God, not to offer a sacrifice. They're important. They really are. They will be a foreshadow of the Messiah. Yes, they will. But at the be at Jewish people had already developed a concept of repentance. Because notice in the book of Daniel, Daniel is carted away into Babylon. The temple has been destroyed. 
Daniel has visitations from angels. He has holy dreams. He encounters, uh, the, he sees the Lord God. And uh, not once, and in all of, of the book of Daniel, does any angel come along and say, I'm going to tell you a prophecy, but really, mate, you blew it because you can't offer a sacrifice for sin, you're doomed to hell. It's not mentioned at all. Okay, so it not, you have to understand that sacrifice is very important, yes. But what we have done as Protestants is we've made them the only thing to talk about. And that's actually not quite true, because as we've seen in the book of Acts, they haven't talked about it yet. Right? Peter was in standing at the, uh, the footsteps of the temple, and he had a perfect opportunity to turn around to all the, the people there and say, see all the blood of bulls and goats? means absolutely nothing. It's the blood of Jesus. But he didn't say that. He said, repent for the forgiveness of sins. Be baptized and believe in the Messiah and you'll get the Holy Spirit. So those are good things. Justification cannot occur through Moses. Never could. And they knew that. That's why when Paul talks to Peter in Galatians and they're, they're discussing the Torah, Peter said, Paul says very blatantly, we know that the Torah doesn't save us. We know that. There's nowhere in that, in that text. You've got to rely on God. You just have to. And God, through his redemptive history, has told us that he is sending the Redeemer. The Torah never justified anyone. The Torah was a guide. It was a good guide. And it was a shield. It was a great shield, specifically if you did it. And the individual still needed to repent. And that's where we're at at the moment. So Paul has had his opportunity to share. He's given his big spiel about uh, redemptive history leading up to the Messiah. Messiah is resurrection, resurrected. That's the proof that Jesus is the Messiah, right? The resurrection. And how do I prove that he, that, that he was resurrected? I take away around with me a bunch of people who saw it. Okay, so we've got a whole bunch of early witnesses. So we'll pick it up at uh, verse 42. Uh, so chapter 13, verse 42, and we'll read chapter 13, discuss it, and then see if we can get through uh, Acts uh, 14 a bit more. Okay, any questions so far? Have I scared anybody? I'm very sorry if I have. But we've had a really good journey through, um, through, through the book of Acts. So what we did right at the start of our journey is we asked everybody, before we even started the book of Acts, what does the Holy Spirit do? And so for the first half an hour, we just wrote up on the board what we all thought the Holy Spirit did, took a photocopy of it and uh, noted it down. And then whenever we come to the word the Holy Spirit in the book of Acts, we note down what he really does do. We write that down. So by the time we get to the end of Book of Acts, we'll have a nice little list. We'll compare it to the list we thought. And see how, see how we did. Okay. All right. So our tradition, for those that don't know, is uh, we read one verse at a time and just go around the table. And it does not matter what version of the Bible you're reading. It truly doesn't. Or language, for that matter, because God actually understands them all. And we can all follow along. Right. Uh, chapter 13, verse 42. As Paul and Barnabas were leaving the synagogue, the people invited them to speak further about these things on the next Sabbath. And after the meeting of the synagogue broke up, 
many Jews and devout converts to Judaism followed Paul and Barnabas, who, as they spoke with them, urged them to continue in the grace of God. On the next Sabbath, almost the whole city came together to hear the word of God. When the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy and talked abusively against what Paul was saying. Then Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly and declared, It was necessary that we first preach the, new, the word of God to you Jews, but since you have rejected it and judged yourselves unworthy of eternal life, we will offer it to the Gentiles. Now this is what the Lord has commanded us. I have made you a light for the Gentiles to bring salvation to the ends of the earth. When the non-Jewish people in the crowd heard these words, they were thrilled and they honored the word of the Lord. All who believed that they were destined to experience eternal life received the message. And the word of the Lord was published throughout all the region. But the youth stirred up the devout and honorable women and the chief men of the city and raised per per persecution against Paul and Barnabas and expelled them out of their coast. But Paul and Barnabas shook the dust off their feet against them and they went on to Iconium. And the, and the disciples were filled with joy and the Ruach HaKodesh. All right. So, on an, an initial surface reading, okay, the sharp model, the, the literal reading, is there anything there that you noticed or had noticed for the first time or that you always notice uh, in that passage? Message was the first to the Jews. Message was the first to the Jews, yep. You noticed that ever since Acts chapter 1? Yep, yes. Now we're turning to the Gentiles in a very deliberate uh, proclamation. Even though, who actually started the mission to the Gentiles? Peter right. did. Peter did. And uh, after Peter, who else? Unnamed apostles. In, in Acts chapter 11, it says there were unnamed disciples from Libya and from Cyprus who went to Antioch and began sharing the gospel with Gentiles. And so that made Jerusalem send Barnabas to Antioch and go, wow, what is going on here? Barnabas had a look, thought it was fantastic, and ran away and got Saul from Tarsus, who then came back and they ministered and pastored the church for a year. So Paul did not start the mission to the Gentiles. He was actually brought in to shepherd a mixed community. So he began to learn. But he had a year's practice. Of, of shepherding a mixed group before the Holy Spirit said, out. The Holy Spirit basically basically trained his hero. Might have wanted to do it straight away. Remember, Acts chapter 9, he had already met Jesus on the road to Damascus. Okay? And he still had to have some learning time. That's actually a good, a good lesson for us, I think. Classroom time. Yeah, sometimes we need some classroom time. We can't. Um, and he's full with the Spirit, but that doesn't make him infallible. Right? Because we've noticed that you can be full of the Spirit, and yet not one of the people in Jerusalem thought about going to the Gentiles. And when it actually happened for the very first time with Peter, the first thing they do is they bring him to Jerusalem and say, what the heck were you doing? Right? They've got the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is whispering in their ear, go to 
you might want to know why not, but uh, that's, I don't know why not. <laughs> that's not what he did. Because the Holy Spirit can speak. We read, we read in this chapter that he spoke to the church in Antioch and said, separate for me, Barnabas and Saul. And yet, for some reason, he held off talking to, uh, to Peter about going to the Gentiles, which is an interesting thing. But now we're even quoting a prophet. They already had the prophet. They've been reading the prophet since they were kids. Uh, and we quote the prophet that we're going to go to the Gentiles. Uh, anything else there? Fair enough. Let's have a look a bit closer at the text. Okay, so <coughs> Paul and Barnabas, that's the way it uh, is phrased. And they're, they're not alone. They've got other companions, but they are unnamed. Uh, they leave the synagogue. The people invite them back. They go, wow, this is fantastic. Really enjoyed your sermon. Can you please stay? And, uh, and so they will. And um, uh, the, they, get, they follow. It says here that the Jews and converts to Judaism follow Paul and Barnabas. So where are the Gentiles? Where are the God-fearers? Remember, it's a mixed community. Paul and Barnabas leave the community. They've been talking to both the men of Israel and to the Gentiles. Everybody in says, please come and stay. Who actually follows Paul and Barnabas home? Jews. Right? Jewish people and converts. Converts are now, what are they now? Jews. Okay, so... What you're still finding here is the boundary issue is still alive and well in the world. So the Gentiles who heard Paul speak knew the rule that they could not go to Paul's house. Right? Gentiles don't go into Jewish homes. Jews don't go into Gentile homes. Okay? So what you find in sacred history is it's actually recording reality. Right? It's a, they, it already knows that, look, Jews follow Paul home. They, they're the only ones who were able to do so. And so the, you end up with these Jews having a discussion with Jews. So you've got Paul and Barnabas and a whole bunch of other Jews having a discussion with Jewish folk about what they had been talking about. What did you really see in Jerusalem? What have you been doing? What's this Holy Spirit stuff? Uh, what's going on in Antioch? You know, all these things uh, that they say. And they talk with them, and they have urged them to continue in what? What's the phrase that our, our sacred history decides to record for us? Yeah. Now, if you were writing sacred history, what would you have said? You're urging your brothers, your Jewish brothers, to continue in? What would you have said? God's Word. God's Word, okay. Avodah. Spirit. Move of the Spirit. Okay. I would have said something like, the faith of Jesus. <laughs> okay. I said, continue in, the, in looking for the Messiah. Continue. But they don't say that. They say, continue in the, the, the grace of God. What is that? What does that phrase mean? No, we, they would know that. I'm asking us, what do we think we... What, what do you think uh, grace of God continue brothers and sisters you know i've just challenged you in, in 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 the sermon for the day i've brought with you witnesses that there really is a resurrection it's all actually happening um don't be like the guys uh in 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 
in the, in the past who always scoffed the prophets. This is actually true. Continue in the grace of God. Okay. And I say, yes, we shall do that. Or no, we shall not do that. Um, what did they understand by grace? What is grace in Hebrew? That's mercy. Rechem is mercy. Chesed. Chesed. So what's chesed? Undeserved, yeah. Loving kindness. Yep, undeserved loving kindness. That God is full of chesed. Like there's more chesed in the Hebrew Bible than there is in the New Testament. Right? There's more, the, the word grace appears in the Hebrew Bible way more times than it does in the New Testament. Yeah? Because God is full of loving kindness. Right? He's slow to anger. That was one of our Bible readings last Sunday, which was excellent. Yep, he's slow. He's very slow. And when he's angry, he's only angry for a short time, thanks be to God. Okay? Like, he, when it finally builds up and God goes, Oh, sorry about that. Okay, then he's back to mercy. And his mercy endures forever. Okay? Angry for a bit. Mercy endures forever. Thanks be to God. Uh, and if we want to look like God, we should try and look like, do that too. But God is full of loving kindness. So he's, in, he's, he's, in, he's encouraging these Jews, continue in the loving kindness of God. God is incredibly loving and kind. He promised redemption. He's promised a redeemer. Keep searching for him. So that's, he's sort of you know, encouraging these Jews, don't give up. Just stay, stay with God. You'll get there. Yeah, God, God won't leave you alone. You'll get there. All right. So on the next Sabbath, what do they do during the week? No, but in between Sabbaths and Sabbaths, so what is what is what do we find Paul and Barnabas doing on Sunday? Doesn't say. <laughs> okay. Yeah, that's right. We have absolutely we have absolutely no idea. Right? There's an entire week. You know, and uh, they've got a whole bunch of people. Everybody knows where they live. Did they do a miracle? They're full of the spirit. Did they cast out some demons? Did they heal the sick? Acts doesn't care. They may have done that, but remember, sacred history doesn't tell you everything. It certainly doesn't tell us how Thomas gets to India. Right? It doesn't tell us how the gospel goes north or any of those kinds of things. It's concerned only about a certain thing. And here, certainly not worried about what happened during the week. What do you think Paul and Barnabas would have done? Yes, you would assume that. Okay, here they are. They're on the mission field. Their church has been sent out by the Spirit, which actually spoke to them, right? So they're probably not sitting around doing nothing, um, waiting for an entire week. Because if that's the actual model for mission work, I'm on the mission field. Okay, <laughs> all right. Oh, this is fantastic. I'll work one day a week. This time was supposed to make pants, so this is something else. We have we have no idea. Okay, we, we like we, all, what we do know is that the Holy Spirit spoke to the community at Antioch. The community at Antioch laid hands on the on the people and sent them out. So the Holy Spirit worked with the community. Right? The Holy Spirit worked with a, with a with a with a community of people, both Jews and Gentiles. And so if a community got told by the Spirit to send Paul and Barnabas out, what do you think their obligation was? To pay, right? You know, and uh, so what you probably have finding is that the church in Antioch is paying for this, okay? And because uh, if they don't, 
hmm, wonder why they wouldn't have done that. Okay, um, particularly uh, in later chapters, when uh, in later books, where Paul will actually say workers deserve their wage. Right. Um, anyway, and it's probably the Jewish people. And he was reminding them of what Isaiah was saying. In a sense, he was reminding them. Yep. What it said back in the old days of the Old Testament, trying to sort of reassure them of what was happening there, that's the fulfillment. Fulfillment thereof. Yeah. And it, and and by the time of Paul, by the time of, of Jesus, uh, the synagogue liturgy is beginning quite developed. Okay, we've got ourselves when you show up in a synagogue, you will have multiple readings of Bible. You will have Psalms every every time. You will have something from the prophets, something from the Torah. You will maybe have some sacred history. You'll you'll do a lot of Bible reading, right? Because people didn't have Bibles. Right? They didn't, they just didn't have Bibles. So most of us couldn't probably read them anyway. Right? So um, what happened is uh, on the on the when you showed up at a synagogue, the Bible is owned by a community. And the community shares. Like you, somebody reads the thing out, and everybody pays attention and discusses it. Longer than one hour a day. Okay, so probably we're there for quite some time. Anyway, all right. So on the next Sabbath, not sure what they were doing during the week, but here we go. Almost the whole city gathers to hear the word of the Lord. I mean, um, how big's that then? How big's their synagogue? <laughs> I mean. Um, it, it, this just this could be a figure of speech, right? It could be that this. Is, I mean, I would I would probably. I, I don't know that ten thousand people showed up on this one street in this little town. You know, um, it's probably a, a, a an exaggeration. Because remember, in the Hebrew Bible, all doesn't mean all. Okay, we think that it does in English. We get the English translation, we go, all, oh, it's fantastic. All means 100%. But in Hebrew, all doesn't mean all. Right? Because um, it'll say, you know, all of Israel went down to Mitzpeh, which is in the Negev, to meet with the Lord. And you go, wow. So you're saying that everyone left the Golan. There was no one in the Golan at all. All the animals were there, no one was tending the grapes. Anyone could have just walked into a house and stole whatever they liked from one of the neighboring uh, countries. Uh, that it means a majority. Okay? Doesn't mean doesn't mean one hundred percent. It's just one of those things that uh, when you put the Bible back into context, okay, anyway, the whole city. Well maybe not. But a fair chunk of them. Okay? And so when we're talking about a city we're talking about a lot of Gentiles here. Okay, who were attracted to this. So those God-fearers who had showed up on that day went around to all their Gentile neighbors and said, this guy, you've got to hear this guy speak. He's amazing. You know, it's actually physically happening. All the stuff that I tell you about every day, you'll think I'm crazy, but here it is. Come. And they got excited. All right. Could have been. That's possible. It could have been that, you know, on the week, on, during the days, Paul and Barnabas did some public ministry. Okay, it's possible that they were getting the rest of the city excited too. Right? At, uh, downtown, we have no idea, but whatever it is, the city's heard. Okay, and um, when the Gentiles heard this, they were very glad and thanked the Lord for His message. 
and all who were chosen. Yeah. It's almost as a select group. It yes, it does. Of eternal life became believers yeah. and select few. Uh, yeah, we have to talk about what the, the the thing about Bible, especially in lectionaries, is you have to wrestle every bit of it. You can't just hang on to your favorite verse. Okay, you've got to wrestle the whole text. And sometimes that means you come up to verses and you go, "Man, why is this one in here?" Uh, but we will get there. Okay. So, what's the reaction? Okay, that we get these great speakers come in and they fill the city with wonder. What's the reaction? Jealous, yeah, jealousy, right? And, um, and 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 unfortunately, in the history of the church, that story repeats itself all over the map. All right, as soon as you get somebody who goes and does a really good thing, and a lot of people go, everybody else attacks them. Okay, and you go, oh my gosh, why do we do that? What is it about us? As, as people that we're so jealous or so scared or so afraid of somebody else's success. Okay? Isn't that sad? It is sad. What, what, what should our reaction be if we hear good stories of the mission field of someone having success? Our, that's exactly, that should be our, that should be our result. Our result. That's fantastic, Lord. Thank you for letting me hear it. That actually gave me some encouragement. Because I turned the TV on and it's usually bad news. But now I'm having some good stuff. And join in on it. Ah, and join in on it, yeah, you can go. Get involved. Yes, get involved. Hey, yeah. So, when the Jewish people saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy. Oh no, and they talked um, um, abusively about what Paul was saying. So there's Paul doing his little drashar again. Okay, it's his turn again. He's getting up, doing his little speech. And uh, in, in synagogue tradition, when, when you teach, does everybody else be quiet? No. No. Mm -hmm. You actually have dialogues, right? The, the what Jewish teaching is to ask questions and to actually engage in a, in a push-pull. Yeah, and that, that's how they teach. And you can see them here, but he's got opposition. So he's probably sitting in the synagogue, he's talking away, and there's a group of people who are now deliberately going against what he said. And they're not celebrating success, they're now actively opposed. Which we've actually seen in previous chapters of Acts. In fact, that's all what we've, we've seen in Acts. There are people who are very excited about what happens, and then there's usually leadership, usually temple leadership, the Sanhedrin, Okay, the Sadducees, chief priests, and now here the, the, the leaders of the community. Um, even when they see miracles, they're in opposition to it. Right? Lazarus rose from the dead. What's our response? Let's kill him. Let's kill Lazarus. <laughs> right? It's like, oh my gosh. <laughs> As opposed to, oh, walking miracle, I shall believe in God. No, I shall quiet this down. You know, it's, miracles don't save you. They help, but they don't save you. Just because people are going to see a miracle means one thing. They saw a miracle. That's all. Doesn't mean they're going to get saved. Doesn't mean they're not going to be jealous. Doesn't mean they're not going to be in opposition. Right? Sometimes we rely on a miracle more than what the miracle is actually there for. Anyway, so they are actively arguing against Paul. Okay, what Paul was saying. So, but what, what's Barnabas doing? 
we have no idea, okay? <laughs> he may be there encouraging, he may be there saying, but the text is not concerned with him. Yes, that's the, the text is not concerned with him anymore, right? He's just, he's just this little, yeah, poor little guy, okay? The, 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 the book of Acts has got a point to, to make and it really wants to use Paul as its, as its hero. Okay, when Paul and Barnabas answered them boldly, we had to speak the word of God to you first. And since you reject it and do not consider yourselves worthy of eternal life, we now turn to the Gentiles. Okay. So, what would you imply from Paul's speech there? It's not well accepted. He was teaching on a Jewish platform. He was trying to talk to them. Who's present in this room? Jews and? Gentiles, so they're both there, right? So they're both there, and uh, Paul is, and he's getting challenged by Jewish leadership. Okay, the Gentile leadership hasn't done anything yet. Well, that'll happen a bit later, but at the moment, Jewish leadership. So he points at them and says, "Look, I had to talk to you first, but seeing as how you don't want eternal life, I'm going to turn to the Gentiles." What does that imply? Seeing as how you don't want eternal life, I'll turn to the Gentiles. So what have you not got? Okay. Now, just, just remember, this is not a gospel. I know Paul said it. You don't have eternal life. What did they have before Paul showed up? They didn't have eternal life. Really? They went to synagogue, they worshipped the Lord, they read the Bible, they were making Jew uh, Gentiles into believers in God. They didn't, they weren't saved back then. It's a bit hard to say that actually. Now all of a sudden, Paul shows up one week later, yeah, ain't got no eternal life. Oh, well, thanks for coming, Paul. Really appreciate that, mate. Okay, I know what Paul said, but it's not Jesus. Remember, this is sacred history. I know what he said. You know what he said. The text says what he said, but that doesn't mean that that's actually true. Paul thinks that. I'm offering you eternal life. And there will be those who reject Jesus, and that's a real problem. But there will be people in that synagogue who are undecided that day. They'll be going, well, I'm going to show up next week, and I'm going to keep worshiping. They still believe in God. They still go and pray. They still do their mitzvot. They still are the good Samaritan that will go and, and, uh, and take care of the, the broken person on the side of the street. Okay. It's a, it, be very careful when looking at sacred history and turning it into a doctrine. Just like you don't cast lots for new leaders. Okay? So you have to be very careful when looking at sacred history and making that a gospel. He's, he's, he's doing a judging thing. Okay? Paul, doing a judging. He did, Paul gets angry. Okay? He had a little tiff with um, John Mark last time. But here he's saying, look, I'm going to turn to the Gentiles. Does he? No, very next chapter, you're going to find him in the synagogue again. You go, but hang on, buddy, you told me, okay, I'm turning to the Gentiles. Yeah, but so why are you walking into a synagogue then? He's, he's reacting. Paul is having a reactionary moment, and our hero, Luke, okay, is recording very faithfully all the stuff Paul does. Even Paul's non-successes. In Acts 17, he's going to give this fantastic speech in Athens. Standing on the Areopagus. It's going to be a fantastic speech. 
Did anybody become a believer? Nope. So what he does is the very next sentence, he goes, I will now only preach Christ crucified. Because that big speech I had before didn't work. Right? He, there's no church in, in Athens. We don't write an epistle to the Athenians. Okay? We, did, we don't. Okay? Didn't yeah. quite have so as much Paul success. Hasn't judged him in that verse. Right. He hasn't. He says, You make yourself unworthy. Here's the offer. You yeah. decide not to take it. Well, it's, he's, he's saying something. But it's, whether it's you true judge or not. You yourselves unworthy. Yeah. So he's, it's pointed, but it's, he hasn't set it up as a judge. He hasn't said, You don't give a term life. Yeah. It's, a, it's a, an expression. So I, it's still, I wouldn't say it's a very positive thing. No, it's... it's uh, and he's saying you, you, you right. refuse eternal judged. life. But he's saying that you haven't got eternal life. No, he said you judge yourselves unworthy of eternal okay. life. All right. It's, a, it's, a, it's semantics. Eternal life. Yeah, it's a no, semantics. That's a big difference. That's saying you yourself have put yourself in the position of not accepting and the result is you've judged yourself unworthy of eternal life. He's really put it back on them. He hasn't... Taking the stand. Oh, yeah, yeah. I know what. Yep. Judge, yes, so. yes, yes. He's it's definitely doing that. Yeah, okay. Hey, doesn't right. history change with what Yeshua did at the cross? Oh, he would have been born. Yeah, that's very important. Roman says it's not by works. No, it's not. But all, yeah. It just enlightened me on that. Okay, so what is the gospel? What is the good news? The kingdom. Good news is that Jesus rose from the dead. Yes. Right? Because that's the gospel in one sentence. Now you know the good news. So what's our response to that? It's to share it. Okay, so we do. And it's actually that simple. Not complicated, not hard. In God's redemptive history, so we've had two heroes give big speeches in Acts, and what's been their method of talking? to talk through the sacred history of how God worked in the world. God made the world, then the world went bad, then there was a guy with a boat and a rainbow, then there was a wandering nomad called Abraham, then we were lost in Egypt, but then we now we're out of Egypt, then we had a bunch of prophets and judges, we had some kings, some of them were good, some of them were bad, uh, and all along the way God was redeeming, he was taking care of people, he was guarding and shepherding, he was always providing hope, and finally, the culmination, the telos, right, which in Greek means goal, means the goal. The goal of the Torah is the Messiah. And now the Messiah is here. Right? And so we should, and we go around and he shares the, the Messiah. Sometimes that comes with uh, miracles. Sometimes it does not. Sometimes it's met with huge success. Sometimes we have abject failure. Um, all of that is part of sacred history. And we're part of sacred history. Like that story, that part of God's redemptive history, actually hasn't finished. We're part of it. So we're actually a part of the good news, right? Like as, as Paul says in Corinthians, he says, we have become the righteousness of God. And what is righteousness in Hebrew? Tzedakah. And what is Tzedakah in Hebrew? It's the redemptive saving plan of God. Like when you, when you, when you in, the, in the book of Micah, uh, chapter 6, verse 5, 
it says, uh, Israel, I took you out, out of Egypt and you wandered around the desert and you saw my Zedekot. And uh, the RSV translation translates as, you saw my redemptive saving activity. You saw me save you. You were hungry, I gave you food. You were thirsty, I provided water. You had enemies, I defeated them. You needed, your, you needed clothing, none of your shoes wore out. Right? Whatever you needed, I was part of that redemption. And now he's doing it through, through the Messiah. So here, he goes, now... One is in the natural and the other is in the spirit, though. Meaning? Meaning that prior to Yeshua, all the redemption that God was doing was in the natural to preserve their outer man. So how were they taking care of the inner man? Through the Torah. God's teaching, guidance, and instruction. So he, he had, God comes down from, on Mount Sinai and he gives his, his guidance and instruction. He says, this is what I like. This is what I don't like. This is actually what's good for you. This is actually what's bad for you. This is, if you, uh, this is how I want you to behave. And this is a... Uh, but then the Torah doesn't save it only. It guides. It like guides. But it's, but it's by the work that Yeshua did on the cross that... Correct. That redeems... Right, because what does what does the prophet say in Jeremiah? I'm going to make a new covenant, right, right with the house of Israel. Israel. So then Yeshua sits out his Passover and he says, "This is my blood of the." Right. I'm I'm cutting this new covenant now. Like every time you make a covenant, blood's involved. Okay, for whatever reason. Uh, there's even a covenant that God makes with Pinchas, and that's actually the Parashat the Shavua today of this week. There's a, yeah, there's a covenant of salt and there's a covenant of peace, which is forever, oddly enough, whatever that means. It only occurs in this week's Torah portion. <laughs> okay, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's, you know, you know the, the story of Pinchas, everyone knows who he is? So the Israelites um, went, went bad and they started uh, mingling with the daughters of Moab, uh -huh. right? And then, yes, and then, and then it, I... Um, a man who was actually the leader of the tribe of Simeon was with one of them in front of Moses, right? Right in public. And Moses did nothing. And you scratch your head and you go, Moses, I mean, dude, you fought Pharaoh, all right? You walked through the Red Sea. What stopped you this time? Um, it's also interesting that, uh, what was Simeon's big sin? With Levi, and, uh, with Levi going to Shechem, and yep. killing Killed all the men after they were That's right. So Levi and Shechem and uh, and uh, Simeon are so incensed that their sister has become a prostitute. They wipe out Shechem. Now the leader of the tribe of, she of of Simeon is prostituting himself in front of Moses. Like, look how far they've come. And so you end up with uh, Pinchas, who is a Levite. Right, so he's out of the two people, one went bad, and what did the other one do? Is he gets a spear and he, yeah, and then God says, "Wow, this guy's a hero. Um, I shall have a covenant with him forever." And you go, "Ooh, um, okay. Uh, what does that mean?" And so you end up with lots of traditions, and one of the traditions, you ready for this, is that Pinchas never died. 
There you like Elvis. <laughs> yeah. Well, okay. So in the in the Christian tradition, we have this. It's it's a very it's an interesting it's a little story. It's just a tradition. I'm not saying it's true. Okay, read my lips. I'm not saying it's true. Okay. Oh, I get accused often, like I think, is that uh, remember Jesus says to a person, this man might won't, won't taste death until he yeah, I come back. And so there is a Christian tradition that says that there's a wandering guy out there waiting for Jesus to come back. And you go, where do they get that idea from? Well, they actually get it from another earlier tradition that Pinchas is wandering around the planet, okay, having an eternal covenant with God. Because um, that's what the text says, that he has an eternal covenant with, with Pinchas. Well, how can he when Pinchas dies? Um, and so you can see where Jewish logic comes in. Okay? Now, do I think that there's some guy wandering around the planet who's 3,000 years old? No. But um, is it possible? Uh, yes, with a God, all things are possible. Why would there be such a guy like that? I have absolutely no idea. Okay. Um, but I, I'm, not, I'm just letting you know that, that this, the, the, the text is not always as, uh, as, uh, perhaps as clear as we might like it to be. Okay, so here, so he, yes, so here Paul is having his discussion. He says, listen, you guys are rejecting me. Who's rejecting him? Okay, just the leadership. The church, the whole town's come to actually hear him. Right? So it's not. It's only a few people, but they've got, got him angry. And so he says, I have made you a light for the Gentiles. Well, that's true. Jesus had already told him that in Acts 9, that he's going to stand before kings and give, uh, give his honor before Gentiles. And uh, so now here he quotes uh, Isaiah, I've made you a light for the Gentiles that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. Now when the Gentiles heard this, they are glad. Well, of course they are, because there's a large section of the Bible, they get to talk about them, right? Um, which has been you know, a, a really good uh, experience, especially here in Israel when talking to Israelis, and they might say, um, uh, you know, why are you here? And it says, well, it says, Hallelujah, Adonai, Kologoy, and praise the Lord, all you Gentiles. So how am I supposed to do that? Why does it say, why, does the, why, why is the blessing in Hebrew, Blessed are you, the Lord, our God, King of the universe. universe, right? Not the King of Israel, it's the King of the universe. I'm part of the universe, so he's my king. Why would I not be here? And then they sort of go, oh yeah, good point. <laughs> All right, so, but the Gentiles, they're happy. Because they're actually, now, some of these Gentiles are not the God-fearers. Some of these are the Gentiles who are hearing this actually for the very first time. Or maybe they've heard it from their friends ahead of time, but now uh, they're hearing that light has come to them. They were glad and they honored the word of the Lord. How do you honor the word of the Lord? Aren't these interesting phrases to say? Okay, for some reason, our version of sacred history, okay, the text that we have uh, in the book of Acts, uses these phrases, the grace of God, and honored the word of the Lord, and sometimes I just wish they could spell it out a little bit clearer for me. Glorify. You have glorify? Yeah, I did. Thrilled and glorified. Thrilled and glorified? Yeah. Yeah, the word of the Lord. So they give glory, they give honor, give respect to the Bible. And then there's that phrase, grace, that you mentioned before. And we have to talk about it, because it's here. And all who were appointed for eternal life believed. What other, have other guys got in their versions? Destined appointed. to experience. Destined? Predestined. Inscribed. 
inscribed. You guys have got inscribed. Oh, cool. Awesome. Yeah, what would it be inscribed in? Written in a book alone. Written in a book, okay. Yeah, so written in a book, appointed to, being given a place in the world to come. Um, so what does that imply? What does that sound like? Sounds a lot like predestination. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I know. I know. That's, 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 it does sound like it. So does the word all there mean all? Ah, there you go. That's so good, isn't it? many. Yeah, yeah. So all in the Bible actually never kind of means all. It means many, but the, obviously not all of the whole town became believers, but all who were appointed, whichever, which is a portion thereof. Uh, now, how would you wrestle with? this concept of predestination because the Jewish people have you that you already know from the Torah that when Moses set before them instructions what was his challenge to them choose yeah, to, yeah choose today whom you will serve choose life I've set before you blessings and curses now choose life what would that imply Free will, choice. Yet there are some times in the text, it'll give you hints and phrases of something else. You know, hang on a second, what's going on here? And, uh, and, and this is one of the ways that um, Hebrew Bible works. On one hand it says this, and on the other hand it says that. And when faced with these, and I'll put these in, in parentheses for, for the, the recording, when, when, when things look like a contradiction, what's the response for Jewish people or Jewish interpreters? They go, great, good, two options. Okay. For example, in Exodus chapter 20, when you read in uh, the Ten Commandments, it says, remember the Sabbath. And then in, in Deuteronomy 5, what does it say? Observe the Sabbath, guard the Sabbath, different word. Okay, hang on a second. Both phrases say, thus says the Lord. Which one did he say? In Exodus, the reason for the Sabbath is different. It says, remember the Sabbath, because I made the world in six days. So it talks about creation. When you get to Deuteronomy, it says, observe the Sabbath, because I took you out of Egypt. Completely different reason. And both start the phrase, thus says the Lord. Now, some commentators will come along, usually the skeptics, and they'll go, ha, see, your Bible's full of inaccuracies and errors. Which one did God say? And you know what Jewish people say? They go, cool, two reasons for the Sabbath. They don't try and figure out which one. They go, both. So, here, you have what looks like predestination. Yet there are going to be other verses in the text that look like free choice. So what did, what's the Jewish answer? <laughs> Both. Yeah. Hang on, how can there possibly be? Yofi. And so they, you, they end up with a parable. You know, there's one of sometimes when you get to deep mysteries, sometimes the only way to understand it is through a, through a, uh, a midrash or some sort of uh, parable. And their parable, I know we've said it in these classes before, um, is about an angel called Lila. Uh, yeah, named after our little hero, Lila, Lila uh, which of course in Hebrew means 
Darkness. Night. Yeah, night. Because that's when um, uh, that's when he's going to do most of his job, and his job is to guard the uh, the well of souls in heaven. Okay, where all the souls that'll ever be born are. Okay. Now, why do Jewish people think that all the souls are all floating around in a well? Uh, they actually get that from ex, uh, Genesis chapter 2, which says that God completed all his work. That's why when they wake up, they say to they yep. that the nephesh comes, comes back. back. Is that, um, so if God has finished creation, their next response is, so where do all the souls come from? Uh, right? All over all this history. And so oh. the, the Jewish tradition is they were already made. And, uh, and Paul even already implies that in Romans. He says, when the full number of Gentiles has come in, yes. then the show's over. So, I mean, think about it logically. God knows that the, when you finally wrap up history, there's definitely going to be a number, right? He knows that. So, therefore, it's not very hard to figure out how many souls you kind of need. Okay? You don't, and, um, and so, anyway, the point is, it's just a midrash. Again, it's just a midrash, so it's not true. Okay? <laughs> Okay? It's describing a truth. Is that when, when, when a, a new soul is, is created, is, is required, you know, male, a man and a woman have a special cuddle and a new soul is needed, the angel gets the soul and goes and stands before God and says, uh, hey, blessed be he, will this soul be male or female? And God has a little look and goes, yes, this one's going to be um, a boy. Okay, great. Is this soul going to be uh, white or black? It's going to be a, a white boy. Is this soul going to be rich or poor? Or is it going to be a rich white boy? Will this soul be fat or thin? It's going to be a fat, rich white boy. Will this soul be wise or stupid? It's going to be a stupid, fat, rich white boy. Will this soul be... And he goes on and on and God gives an answer. And at the end, he puts the soul in the woman and out pops exactly what God said. I believe his and yet the rabbis will end the parable by saying the angel never asked is this soul righteous or unrighteous for that is your choice and so they will have God in complete control of history right he'll, he'll completely control history but you will still have a choice and so you end up with texts just like this which can imply they can that this is predestination, in which case there's no free free will. It's all just, you know, that's the way it is. Um, or you end up with some verses which will imply very strongly that you have a choice. And Paul has said they rejected, which means they had a choice. Okay. And so you end up with both the choice to reject and definitely got people being appointed to salvation at the same time in the same passage not too far apart and both are true how that works out i don't know but uh it's the way it's now, Aaron, that was called the flight of lila that that's a midrash yes. and uh it's it's a, it's a parable about lila it's in the talmud it's just a which is just recording stuff uh i can find you the exact chapter verse for you if you like Okay, um, and I'll, I'll put it down in the notes. Okay, and we'll add it to add it to the section. So, um, quite an interesting little little discussion. Okay, so the word of the Lord spread through the whole region. Success, opposition from leadership. 
did fail. Remember, you cannot go against God. No matter what you do to go against the Lord, they always lose. And uh, the word of the Lord spreads to the whole region. However, okay, the Jewish people incite the God-fearing women of high standing and the leading men of the city. And they stir up persecution against Paul and Barnabas and expelled them from their region. Okay, so this is an interesting phrase. The Jewish people go to the Gentile girls. Now, why would they do such a thing? Yeah, there's some in the ancient world, rich women were very influential. And oddly enough, when you read the Talmud, if which is just Jewish commentary, okay, it's like any commentary that we have on a Gospel of John or something, they, uh, some of the some of the uh, commentary involve rich Gentiles coming and asking rabbis religious questions. Uh, rich Gentile women, always women. You scratch your head and you go, why are these rich women going up to rabbis and asking them questions? And yet you already find this in the, in the, in the New Testament as well. Around the same time period. We need to get rid of Paul and Barnabas. You know, we can't do it. My gosh, what wimps these guys are. Okay, so what they do is they go to the, the, the rich ladies. Who, who was actually paying for the ministry of Jesus? The rich women. Right, it was the rich women. Okay, rich women, man, you gotta, you gotta find, you gotta get some. Okay, right, it's biblical. Okay, rich women here. Okay, right, but we're not saying. We're not saying. Okay, we're hiding, hiding our wallets. Okay. Okay. So they, they yeah, that's right, yeah. So and 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 they, and they and they stir them up somehow. Now we don't know how they did it. The text the text doesn't say. We don't know whether they made them promises. Whether they you know you'll get a high place in heaven if you do this or Lydia was one. Lydia was one. Yes, yes, she will. Do, yes, the church has their fair share of rich women too. Um, and they stir up persecution. And it doesn't tell us what the format is of persecution. It, it it's it's not clear. Uh, it just tells us that it succeeds, okay? And uh, Paul, Paul and Barnabas are, are expelled. So they shake the dust off in protest, which you, uh, uh, Jesus had already mentioned to his disciples when he had sent them out, this is one of the things that you do. Okay? And, um, and so despite the fact they have had success with the word of the Lord, and now they're expelled, What's going to happen to our fledgling church in uh, Basidian Antioch? What do you think? Prosperous. Sorry? Yeah, it doesn't. It doesn't. You don't get much of a mention. We don't write an epistle to it. Initially, it looks good, but there's no there's no oversight. And so what most likely happens is it then peters out and fails. And perhaps this is one of the reasons why later on you find Paul being very fastidious in saying appoint leaders. Wherever you go, Timothy, wherever you go, Titus, make sure you get some leadership in place. These are the, these are the guys you're looking for. You're looking for guys with only one wife. You're looking for guys who, can, who know the scriptures. You're looking for guys you know, of good character. Um, it's, it's possible that as as Paul and Barnabas, particularly in the early stages, they had, they had discovered that, wow, we had this great success. But then we, we kind of left 
and then it all petered out and that wasn't so good so we need to uh, figure out um, uh, a better a better solution and so later on we're going to get these epistles with this very very clear uh, instructions from Paul get yourselves some leadership okay but here we don't really know all we know is that it spreads well it says the word of the Lord spreads that's fantastic we don't really know what that means um, and then and then and we don't know the time frame okay we do know that there's a week two Sabbaths but we're not sure whether the expulsion occurs immediately or after some time. And, uh, and the last phrase is very interesting. What does it say? Okay, they're filled with joy. Okay, they just got kicked out of town. Okay, great. Okay. And they're happy and filled with the Holy Spirit. Awesome. What were you doing, Holy Spirit, in all this time? <coughs> The, whole, the disciples are full of the Spirit. But what did he do? We don't know. Okay, the, the text doesn't say. Like, you know, um, if the word of the Lord is spreading, why doesn't um, Peter stand up, or Paul, sorry, do a healing, cast out some demons, do a few miracles, and, and force everybody to calm down? But the text doesn't say that that's what happened. It does say they're full of the Spirit, well, he was filling them. Yes. So they're full of the Spirit, and, and, and they are filled with the Spirit, and they've got joy. This is fantastic. Uh, what are some of the things that are not mentioned as well, now that we're full of the Spirit? There's no miracles, no demon slayings, no speaking in tongues, no prophecies. Okay? Those things occur, but the text doesn't say. Right? It's, just, it's actually quite... Um, blank remember sacred history is exactly that it's sacred it's in our text it's in our, it's in our bible it is not a gospel okay it's not the same as uh, if jesus had said um uh when you choose a new disciple count lots draw lots that's how we would choose new disciples okay if jesus had said it trust me we would all be doing it okay um uh, the, and sometimes the, 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 the history is unclear. We, we will never hear what the Holy Spirit did in the north, south, or east. Okay? We're just going to hear about his movement towards the west, which is important, but it's, it's, you just got to remember exactly what, what it is. All right, so let's try uh, reading a couple of verses of um, Acts 14. Because now we move from Antioch to Iconium. So let's read the first seven verses. At Iconium, Paul and Barnabas went, uh, as usual, into the Jewish synagogue. There they spoke to, uh, effectively, with a great number of Jews and Gentiles believed. But the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brothers. Therefore they stayed there a long time, speaking boldly in the Lord, who was bearing witness to the word of his grace, granting signs and wonders to be done by their hands. The people of the city were divided. Some sided with the Jews, others with the apostles. Then a number of Gentiles and Jews, along with their leaders, decided to attack and stone them. They found out about it and fled to Lyonian town called Lystra and Derby and to the surrounding countryside. 
and they continue to preach the hope of the gospel. Excellent. Alright, so here you have something slightly different. Okay, so another place, Iconium. Alright, so we're still in uh, Turkey. Paul and Barnabas went as usual into the Jewish synagogue. Now, isn't that an interesting phrase? Okay, because what did they have just said in their previous city? We're not going there. Okay, but very next sent city. Well, maybe I spoke a little, little rashly. Okay, um, I'm going there. Right? It doesn't say he was prompted by the Spirit, but this is what he usually does. So he knows where he's got a platform. All right, and rich ladies. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, I want to go see my rich girls. Yeah, that's right. So they they spoke. They sp he spoke so effectively. Although the text here is plural. Okay, so many many um, of the they add the words that they. Okay, so it it can imply that they're co-chairing now. Okay, um, and a great number of Jews and Gentiles believe this is great. Okay, another wonderful mixed community. Right? But the Jews who, uh, uh, who refused to believe stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brothers. Okay? So once again, we see the, uh, the early opposition is, is actually Jewish. And uh, they get their assistance by stirring up Gentiles. Now, it doesn't say why they need to do that. Like, what's so powerful about a couple of little Jewish guys coming from Antioch uh, that makes other Jewish people so afraid. Don't know. Okay? It, but it is interesting. Um, and you even see it in today's world. So we had um, at the Festival of Lights two weeks ago, and the Orthodox came to try and stop us, and they yelled and screamed, and they said that it was forbidden to go into a church building. And Berno was standing on the steps of the of the post office and he was saying really what is it about a building that makes you so scared wait they didn't want to come in here they didn't want to come in they're telling they're telling secular jews don't go in there it's forbidden you know and and there's benno standing why are you so scared about a building what is it about a physical structure that scares the pants off you Right? That you, you, you are powerless to do anything. You can't even walk onto the property. All you can do is yell at your, at your lungs to tell Jews not to go in. Uh, the end result was the police came along and helped everybody come onto the property. So that was wonderful. Okay. Um, but here you see, it, you see something. You know, the text doesn't say it, but the, the Jewish people are nervous. Well, the ones that don't believe. And they stir up the Gentiles. Why? Maybe they're just more of them. Don't know. Maybe they're in powerful positions. Don't know. Okay. Um, and, uh, and they poison their minds. So what's the result? So opposition, just like we had before. So what do Paul and Barnabas do this time? Stay. They don't say something. Well, we're going to the Gentiles now. They don't shake the dust off their feet. They stay. The text doesn't say why. It doesn't say Perhaps they've uh, had a bit of a change of heart or they had a little bit of a powwow debrief one evening and say, hey man, um, not so sure we was as effective as we could have been back there. But also, how are they assisted this time? Miracles. Why did we not get miracles before? What was it about the previous encounter that even though the text says they are filled with the Spirit, 
There's no activity of that spirit. Yet, in this one, there is. I, 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 I can't suggest a reason. The text doesn't say. But what do you think? What would, what would, let's all have a, th a discussion. What do you think some of the possible reasons the Holy Spirit is now active in this place? Any ideas? Not, there will be no wrong answers. because we okay? No, seriously, the text doesn't say. It just it begs the question. Okay? What, what was, what's an option? God's sovereignty. Just... Okay, so one option is this is just simply the sovereignty of God. He decided that you know, this one didn't quite deserve the miracles or, or wasn't going to work anyway and kind of foreknew and blah, blah, blah. Even though it does say that those who were appointed to believe anyway. Sorry? No rich women. No rich women. Okay. Run out of rich women. Need some miracles. Okay. All right. So in the, so in the absence. Into a strategy. They felt we had a debrief because I mean every time you do something together with the team, you come at the end of the like, how do we do? What would you could improve on? Yeah. So I'm guessing from that, a change of strategy. Yeah. So because in the first first one, you just get Paul giving a big speech. Now there's that subtle. They spoke boldly. Right. Or a change in attitude. Could be a change in attitude. That's right. It could be a, hey, bro, you know, maybe you shouldn't get as angry as you should. Because yeah, yeah, like, in Matthew, when you see Jesus moving in compassion, he moves in miraculous. Yes, indeed. So, indeed. Speak to the rock, don't hit it. Don't speak to the rock, don't hit it. Yeah, that's another good thing. Yeah. And the faith coming from the people. Yeah. The, the receiving yeah. part. Yeah. One of the interesting, well, I'm studying Mo, the, the last dialogue of Moses with a group of rabbis on Mondays. And, um, and uh, we, note, we note that at the beginning of Moses' life, he says, don't choose me, Lord, I can't speak. Right? So he's no good at speaking. And then, you know, God says, speak to the rock. No, I can't do that. I'll hit it. Right? Okay. But then when Moses is ready to die, he breaks out of this massive monologue. Okay? And you go, wow, the guy really can speak. Um, or, what's, what's another conclusion? He learned. You know, there's progress. Okay? He begins his career as, I fumble over my words. And after spending 40 years in the desert with a, with a group of Israel, Israelites, by the time at the end, he's quite the eloquent talker. Okay, so, uh, which is, you know, there's, there's always hope, guys. Okay. And, and the Holy Spirit could also help. Here. in the previous one, they depend, depended on the Lord to show them what to do. Yet in this one, the second time, time. he's shown them whether they relied on him or not, he's actually showed them. I think the wording in this is, um, oh, um, Paul and Barnabas, and the two men urged them to continue to rely on the grace of God. They were depending, you know, they were relying on God, in other words, to tell them what to say. Ah, okay, I see what you're but, saying. And the second time, he's giving them signs and wonders. So yeah. One's a verbal, and one is perhaps a, what, the miraculous. Yeah. Physical and spiritual. I don't know, but it, it's, it's obviously what, what's there, but I can't give a reason why. Um, it's, it's just, this is what sacred history records for us. Yeah. And it's not very clear. It's not 
No, 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 and that's okay. One, one of the things we need to be comfortable with is when we read the Bible is coming to things where you go, you know what, I actually don't understand that. <laughs> and that's actually a good place to be where you go, I shall ponder this. You know, King David says, I meditate on your word. He doesn't say, I solved it. Right? He, King David meditates on God's word and even comes up with things like, how can people praise you when they're dead? Well, people do praise God when they're dead, right? The saints, the cloud of witnesses who are in, in, in heaven praising the Lord. But, uh, but David, even his ponderings. Example too of the Holy Spirit not being in a box. We, it was the same way every time. We just get systematic and go one plus one equals two. And yep. He's just keeps possible. changing the <laughs> yeah, 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 that's right. We don't know why the Holy Spirit chose not to do certain things in the previous city, but he does now in this one. Okay? And, but there is one, I think, bit that, that needs to be, be, be also said in comparison. In the face of the opposition, what was the response of Paul and Barnabas? To stay. And what does the Holy Spirit do? Yep, stays there and, and he helps as well. And, uh, and so the, there is a phrase that is not in the Bible. You know that phrase that your mother taught you when you were a kid? The Lord helps those who help themselves. Anyone heard that expression? Yep. Okay, it's not in the Bible. However, <laughs> ready for this? Okay, however... Israel needed water in the desert. And the text in Numbers says the Lord gave Israel water. And then it says, the very next sentence is, and Israel broke into song. And, it said, and the song is, the well the princes dug. So the, they, let's cry to the Lord for water, we have no water. It, the text says, the Lord gave you water. How did they get the water? They dug a well. <laughs> okay? And so there is a partnership. Isn't that an interesting thing? You know, how does the Holy Spirit work? The Holy Spirit works and sometimes on his own. And sometimes the Holy Spirit works with a community. And for whatever reason, our sacred history decided to say that Paul and Barnabas spent considerable time there. They did not leave these guys alone this time. Okay, and it, it could be that as as Paul and Barnabas are doing this, they're beginning to begin to think about the types of epistles they're going to be writing. Guys, choose leaders. Look for people. Get you know have get get people well grounded in the Lord. We got some we got some journeying to do as disciples. We got these pagans who are too busy having uh, orgies. We got to get them over that. It's going to take a while. Um, you know, we've got some issues of Jews and Gentile boundaries. Because remember, one of the big, big problems of the early church is who can eat with who, right? You know, um, Gentile food's unclean, right? Paul is going to spend three chapters in Corinthians trying to figure out can we or can we not eat food offered to an idol, right? I mean, the ministry of, a, of an apostle is is uh, planting, planting, planting a congregation. Yeah, with guidelines. Okay, we're nearly, nearly uh, out of time. Is there anything there in the, the text? Also, oh, in verse 4, what are the Paul and um, Barnabas called? 
What's their title? Apostles. Apostles. Yeah. In Hebrew, So Paul and Barnabas are called apostles. Does it is it the same as it meant uh, the twelve apostles? The word in Hebrew is actually going to be exactly the same. Okay. Yeah. So the sent ones. So here, so we probably shouldn't make too much of this word. Some people do. Right? And they'll go, see, Paul and Barnabas are apostles, you know. And, uh, and so, you know, we can be just like them. You go, Ooh, okay, be very careful. Okay, remember, one of the attributes that God wants is humility. But here, if you were saying this in Hebrew, it would just be shlechim, emissary. Okay, and at which we are all shlechim, right? We're all sent ones. We're all apostles, right? We're all. Uh, what's what does Christian mean in he, in Hebrew? Meshichim. What does that actually mean? A little Messiah. Yeah. Isn't that isn't that a great title? Yeah. You're 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 in the image of God. You already knew that, right from Genesis one, but. Um, but you're also a little little messiah, which is a bizarre thought in and of itself. But it's a good thought. And here the, uh, they, are, they, are, they are known as the apostles. So uh, the holy, the, the Paul and Barnabas spent considerable time there speaking boldly for the Lord, who confirmed the message of his grace by enabling them to do miracles of signs and wonders. So the signs and wonders in this case come from the Lord. The source is the Lord who is confirming Paul and Barnabas talking. Right? It's not that the miracle goes first. The miracle is confirming something that the, the human did. Okay? God has got a partnership going on, which is a wonderful thought when you think about it. Right? You know, that you and I are in partnership with the king of the universe. That is a humbling humbling thought uh, to do. Why, why are Paul and Barnabas changing their tactic? Why are they doing this here than what they didn't do previously? Don't know. Maybe they have had their little debrief. But God definitely shown up. Right? Uh, um, and, it, in, and, and it's uh, in terms of uh, what the, the Lord is. In the previous chapter or the, the verses ahead, it had said that it was the whole, they were filled with the Holy Spirit. Here, we, we switch and we go back to the Lord doing all the conf confirming. Doesn't tell you his agent, doesn't tell you how he did it, just he does. Unfortunately, there's a plot uh, among the Gentiles and the Jews uh, to ill-treat them and stone them. Oops. Um, and they get found out about it. I'm not sure how, doesn't tell you how. Just do. And, um, and, what, and what's the appropriate response? They flee. Let's get out of here. Okay, and that's okay, right? You know, just because you're filled with the Spirit doesn't mean you should stand in front of a bus. No, seriously. <laughs> I mean, you know, and then suddenly you get killed and you go to heaven and you're like, "What was that all about?" And God's going, "What was that all about?" <laughs> I gave you the Spirit, gave you a mission. What are you standing in front of a bus for? What happened? Yeah, what happened? Yeah. All right, brothers, thank you very much for wrestling with a couple of these things. We get, we've had two looks at Paul in two different cities. He does two different approaches. Uh, one with a bit of success, 
small success in both, but a bigger success in what appears to be um, Iconium. And it doesn't say how long he's there, it just says some time. So most likely, okay, we are going to re-encounter these people later on in Acts. Okay, so the community was, it formed. And it was a Gentile Jewish community, which Paul is used to. Right? He's had a good solid year's practice at this in Antioch. So he's well used to the establishing of Jewish Gentile communities. Which is all fantastic. And Acts 14 continues with you know, forming, forming um, more Jewish and Gentile communities. This is great. But then, okay, the, uh, the specter of uh, the boundary issue comes back. What we thought had been defeated in Acts 11 shows up again in Acts 15. Right? The idea of, no, you've got to become Jewish to believe in Jesus. Right? And, um, and that, what we thought we had defeated had never really gone away. Okay? Thank you for listening. If you've been blessed by this teaching, let us know by leaving a comment on our Facebook page or leaving a review in iTunes. You can offer practical support to Christ Church Jerusalem by clicking the Donate Now button on our Facebook page. Thank you and blessings from the City of the King.